1: I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on September the 2nd, 2009. For newcomers, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website, scroll down, see all the other sites I have up, and bookmark them for future use in case the big ones go down again. That way you'll get the latest audios from one of the other sites. Plus, if you find that so you're having problems downloading from the comm site, it's a good idea to try one of the other ones. Thousands of folk go into the comm at the same time, and that's generally the problem. So there's a, a lot of variety to choose from all those other sites I have. There's cuttingthrough.jankness.com, cuttingthroughthematrix.net, cuttingthroughthematrix.us, cuttingthroughthematrix.ca, there's Alan Watt, cuttingthroughmatrix.ca, and there's also Alan Watt, sentin- sentinel.eu. The last one being the European site which has all the same audios, plus it has the advantage of having a lot of transcripts of uh, these talks I've given, written in the various languages of Europe. Now remember that you, the listeners, bring me to you uh, by buying the books, etc. I have for sale on my site. you are looking to you'll see how to do it. There's DVD discs and so on. And uh, you can uh, use PayPal for orders as well, by the way. Uh, Personal check is good within Canada and the U.S. Uh, Some people in the U.S. send international postal money orders from their post offices. Outside of the Americas, you can use, uh, again, PayPal, or you can use Western Union or MoneyGram. And some people, as I say, send cash. For those who just get the disc burned and passed around at events, etc., and they don't have computers for themselves, they play it on their CD players, You can write to me at Alan Watt, W-A-T-T, Site 41, Box 4, Estaire, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. That postal code is P as in Peter, 3E as in Elizabeth, 4N as in Nora, 1. That's P, 3E, 4N, 1. As I say, I need your donations too to keep me going because um, I don't have much to sell at all. And I don't have the time to do anything else. Believe you me, every day it's just more and more problems. I pedal backwards half the time. And uh, I could certainly be rolling out the books if I had nothing else to do and just bringing in the money. So it's up to you to keep me going. And see, you can donate to me through PayPal or other means and look into the sites as to how to do it. Now, the audience here are probably better educated Uh, after listening for a long time to what I've had to say uh, Mm than the rest of the general population. I said the other night about how the perfectly conditioned, which is the majority of the public, are in a a completely different scientifically designed reality. Uh, They think everything that they hear of the mainstream is new. is really true. They, They truly believe that. They don't question it. And all you need is a, a person who's um, uh, called an expert to come on television, and they will—they'll they'll go under the spell immediately. They'll question nothing. That's the general population. It's more than just naivety uh, or simplicity. Even it's because their indoctrination has taken perfectly. For per thousands of years, rulers talked about ways to totally control the public, and. Even in ancient times, the high priests of different countries accumulated incredible wisdom and knowledge on how to do just that, how to control mass, mass peoples by using not just religion, but um, a lot of other things that go along with the techniques of introduction of religion. And we're back with more after these messages. cutting through the matrix talking about how the knowledge of controlling nations of people and empires of people is very, very old indeed and very precise too because it's all based on formula whatever uh, or the people have been made to do in the past if you know the formula you can make them do it exactly the same way again that's something that Plato even knew in his day and therefore we're, we're were managed so well. However, in the 18th and then into the 19th and then definitely the 20th century, uh, there was a particular movement to delve into the mind. Eventually it was called psychology uh, down the road, but this, as I say, was an old art, and certain people were taught it in certain societies, like Mr. Bernays and his family uh, of the Freuds, uh, were taught these kind of things in a previous century. They didn't make it up themselves, and they knew how to literally manipulate the minds of millions of people. And Bernays, of course, has got the the fame for bringing in consumerism, mass consumerism, and making people want things they'd never thought about before. And they knew all the ways to to make people want things, how to advertise, how to sell it across to them, uh, based on their unconscious. Or subconscious emotional states, etc. And it's it's a perfected science. But politicians also have been interested in this particular science because their main problem, and they discussed this at the League of Nations when they set it up, the precursor of the United Nations, to control a whole world full of people. Uh, they don't want rebels, etc. And especially when it was a, 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 a eugenical type society, they were going to bring in to being where science would be the new god and everything had to go under th- science and be run by science they knew a lot of people would object and uh, they, they, they talked about getting ways to control the minds of people it was people like Bertrand Russell who came up with uh, at least he put out to the public for the first time the technique to be used would be scientific indoctrination a type of indoctrination where the person who is being indoctrinated will never know that they have been indoctrinated at all. Perfect indoctrination. And government wanted to create um, a media uh, that the public would truly believe. Before television came out, people were very skeptical of newspapers because of all the con men and the rich uh, banking types who owned the papers and who constantly put out disinformation lies and deceit and so on. But when television came in, it was used to the maximum by all governments. The BBC is a British Broadcasting Corporation. It was set up for propaganda purposes before it was televised. It was just radio in World War I. That was the reason it was set up for propaganda purposes. It never stopped. Every British Commonwealth country has its version of the BBC. They call it your, your cultural television station as they keep giving you an upgraded culture which is always communistically, politically correct. You can't enjoy anything on them because there's messages all through their programming. But unfortunately, people really do, most folk do, believe the mainstream media all the time, all the time, on every topic, especially when they have been brought up with these same anchor people who are paid vast sums of money to stay there for their whole lives long because they seem like father figures to the, to the people. And daddy wouldn't lie to you. Don't forget the world, as I say, that bringing in is to be a scientifically dominated society. No matter how ridiculous the science or how crazy their mandates because of science become, we're supposed to all just obey and go along with them. They call this reason the age of reason, you see. And those most reasonable or the most knowledgeable have the right to rule over the lessers and guide the destiny of the planet rather than to allow it to happen uh, willy-nilly in happen happenstance by itself. The planned society. And a big part of it that Julian Huxley and many others have talked about and has been talked about recently again by the World Health Organization, they've got to stop thinking so much about helping giving health care, and they have to think about giving death care, death care, you see. In other words, they don't want people living too long. Uh, ideally, your lifespan uh, should be a very quick education into the workforce to be a good producer and consumer, and you should basically kick the bucket before retirement, just, just for the time of retirement. That way you're not a burden on society and governments have all your pension schemes into their pockets to to put into their own pockets or to spend in other things. And that would be the ideal society for them. We're just creatures now, you see. We're not humans. We have been brought down off our pedestals as Huxley advocated. And they have trained us to be that way. To see ourselves as nothing but just ants basically ants and back in the 80s one of the technocrats as Professor Carl quickly called them Maurice Strong a guy who was plucked by Rockefeller himself uh, at a college age which, and he never completed college to be made one of the most famous men, in the right circles at least in the world the man is a mover and a shaker he was given a good part of the Green Agenda back then, and he was brought over from the United Nations, plonked into Ontario, Canada for about a year, while he privatized uh, the taxpayer-owned um, electrical supply system for the whole of Ontario. And at that time, he said, too, that they put generators, big generators, into remaining factories and big office complexes and so on. And they didn't say why the sudden rush to do all all these emergency power generators, etc. About two weeks later, after the first announcement, he said said that the world is going to change very quickly. And he said that people are going to be taught to use less energy, to consume less energy, and they'll be forced to do it. This is back in the 80s. And Maurice Strong has never been elected by any government on the planet. And yet here he is, not just predicting the future, but uh, saying it with authority, because he does have authority under the United Nations. So all this greening stuff and cutting back on energy that you're hearing today was planned an awful long time ago, and there were guys like Strong talking about it publicly in the newspapers back in the 1980s. So nothing happens just by chance and by its own immediacy at the time. It's all planned that way. Now, in the U.S., they're bringing in what they think is a, a national health care system, and I've already gone through, again, the facade of national health care, because it's a political agenda, not a health agenda. You cannot involve politics and governments with their agendas with health care. You can't do it, especially when you realize that the mandates of all, governments today, and they're all on board together, all the pirates are on board, are into depopulation and uh, having fewer children, etc. As we go along this path to ultimate eugenics and, and uh, a genetically created society. but In the meantime, we have to go through the long parts, all the teaching parts while we get used to it. And... Um, I've read the articles before in Britain where, yes, you can get vasectomies very quickly. You can get uh, tubal ligations very quickly. You, get, you can get abortions very quickly because it's all politically correct. You see, that's part of the ultimate mandate uh, to reduce population. But you, you can't get in. Let's say if you have something like cancer, you might wait six months to a year or longer. Like Canada here, same thing. You're dead before you see them. And that's That's intentional it saves them money and you die anyway see <clears throat> you may have lived mind you, if you got proper treatment but that's not really what's there for and here's an article from the Telegraph September 2nd, 2, 2009 sentenced to death on the National Health Service patients with terminal illnesses are being made to die prematurely under National Health Service scheme to help end their lives, leading doctors warn today. In a letter of the Daily Telegraph, a group of experts who care for the terminate ill claim that some patients are being wrongly judged as close to death. This is what happens when you deal with the mass management of people, the factory type management under National Health Service. They're all classified the same. Well, you look ill to me, I guess you're going to die. <laughs> That's it, you're on the list. So this is under National Health Service guidance introduced across England to help doctors and medical staff deal with dying patients. They can then have fluid and drugs withdrawn and many are put on continuous sedation until they pass away. So they starve you of food and water and they just drug you till you're dead. This, is, but this approach can also mask the signs that the condition is actually improving, the experts warn. It's kind of hard to see improving, you see when you're, you're high on opium. You're, just, you're off in a fog somewhere. As a result, the scheme is causing a national crisis in patient care. The letter states it's been signalled, it's been signed to palliative care experts, including Professor Peter Millard, Emeritus Professor of Geriatrics, University of London, Dr. Peter Hargraves, a consultant in palliative medicine in St. Luke's uh, Cancer Centre in Guildford, and four others. Forecasting death is an inexact science, they say, and it is. diagnosed as being close to death without regard to the fact that the diagnosis could be wrong, as it often is. <clears throat> as a result, the national wave of discontent is building up as family and friends witness the denial of fluids and food to patients. That gets rid of them quickly, you see. It saves cash for the National Health Service, which is the government. Back with more after these messages. This is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, discussing the wonders of national health service care. And I hope articles like these, this will be a, a warning to those that think they're going to get some beautiful system in the United States of America. You're in a, a new world order, a new world order where they'll use many different techniques to reduce the population. And believe you me, that's going to be the priority of a national health service in the U.S., because that's how it is everywhere else where they have one. That's what it is. Most of Canada, like where I live here, you can't get a doctor at all under the national uh, 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 health service system we have here. And uh, they don't train enough to one thing. And the government, once that comes in, it's the government decides how many doctors they want. So they decide how many they're going to train for five years, ten years down the road. So they always make sure there's a shortage of them. To discourage people from going to see them. That's the idea behind it. Simple, isn't it? And what they give you are clinics that you walk into. And you take a number, big numbers too, but four inches high. And you sit there like a cow. They generally have them in their ears, you know, cows. And uh, you you wait for your number getting called, and then you go up and give your data, and you'll be asked what you want to see the doctor about, and you've got to explain everything in front of a room full of patients. They can all hear you. And then you'll sit and wait for three, four, five hours, and if the doctor doesn't get called off to a hospital or something, you might get to see them, and it'll be a different one every time. They don't know your history. They probably won't see you again because they keep rotating them. And so all they want is you out the door as fast as you can. And that's a system of flying doctors, we call them. You, you just fly in and you fly out with a, a little piece of paper in your hand, if you're lucky. And if the doctor is called away, you have to come back the next day and go through the the big card system again and sitting and waiting. And maybe you'll see someone. And if they diagnose something where they need an operation, well. Don't count on it. You'll probably be dead long before your, your number comes up to come into the hospital. That's National Health Service because governments are all about political agendas. We know what the political agendas are. The New World Order has told the world over and over again there's too many people, we've got to reduce people, blah, 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 blah. So it's not there to help you. And governments... They can never get enough money. I don't care if um, it rained cash from the sky tomorrow all over parliaments and congresses across the planet, uh, and it it buried them, and it wouldn't make any difference. They, They never have enough money to do all the wonderful things they want to do. So therefore, don't expect much money to go into a national health service at all. It doesn't. It gets pulled out of it. Under the United Nations World Health Organization, it stipulates that every citizen in the world is going to get is going to get the minimal care possible. And that's what national health service care is all about. They're doing the same across the entire planet. All from the United Nations. That's where you're going to get. Probably use th- you guys out there that think Oh, isn't it wonderful? We're, we're going to be able to see doctors now. Well, you might for a vasectomy or an abortion. Everything else, though, good luck. And a lot of bribery. Because that's what you get in communist countries, you see. Lots of bribery. That's how it was in all the Soviet uh, countries. You had to bribe the receptionist to make an appointment, you had to bribe the doctor to see you, you had to bribe to get a, a prescription everything was bribery that's what you get in socialized communist systems quite something eh and for Canadians Canadians has been talking about getting this compulsory inoculation and once again we're always fooled and lied to it isn't until you look into the laws, etc., that you find there's so many lies told by politicians just to make you go along with what they want you to go along with. And uh, this is from a, a vaccination risk awareness network, this particular site. And it goes into the to the exemptions, etc., of the vaccines. It says, vaccinations are not mandatory in Canada, Unlike some countries, immunization is not mandatory, Canada. It cannot be made mandatory because of the Canadian Constitution. Three provinces require proof of immunization for school entrance. Ontario and New Brunswick for diphtheria, tetanus, polio, measles, mumps, rubella immunization. Manitoba for measles, but exceptions are permitted on medical or religious grounds and reasons of conscience. Legislation and regulations must not be interpreted to imply compulsory immunisation. That was from the government. Immunisation in Canada, May 1997. Volume 2, 3, S, 4. A Canadian national report on immunisation from the government, 2, 1996. This means that nobody in Canada can be forced to receive a vaccination. In some cases, nursery schools, daycares and other schools which are privately owned and operated can demand Vaccination for enrolments, but publicly funded schools and daycares cannot. Furthermore, Canadian medical law clearly states that healthcare care recipients must be informed of all significant risks posed by any invasive medical procedure that carries a risk of injury or death. Vaccination is such a procedure. Back with more after this break.
0: You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
1: Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix. Reading from Vaccination Risk Awareness Network... Do with Canadians and how they can get exempt from the big boys and their, their mandates on immunization. It says furthermore Canadian medical law clearly states that healthcare recipients must be informed of all significant risks posed by any invasive medical procedure. Now when you stick an injection, that's an invasive medical procedure by the way. That needs a consent form carries a risk of injury or death vaccination is such a procedure every Canadian must have received and understood all the information that is pertinent to the vaccinations to which they consent this is innocent to legal exemptions and forms most uh, of the provinces have forms which can can get to, to sign to exclude yourself there's a bunch of links here to give you more information on the medical laws as far as Canada goes. And there's links to other articles to do with vaccination, etc. And these things are very important. And I noticed in the States, too, that Obama's administration had exempted all the usual people. Uh, I mean, there's no exemptions to the vaccination. Diabetics the people with autoimmune problems, everybody's supposedly just just supposed to take it because they've ordered it so. And it's amazing too, the exempted government and the big pharma from lawsuits because of the the last uh, fiasco with the swine flu nonsense where thousands of people came down paralyzed after it and hundreds died of it as well. I'll put a link up to an old 60 Minutes interview that was banned for 20 years. And uh, it's out now again. I've already shown it before a few months ago. I mentioned it in a link that you'll hear um, the guy at the top of the CDC deny knowledge of everything, basically. He didn't know anything. He didn't know that it would be dangerous. He didn't know that there would be severe, severe side effects. This is a top guy. Even though his, his staff that worked for him are also on the same documentary saying, yeah, he was informed of all this the stuff. They knew there'd be neurological damage and, and various other problems that would come out of that swine flu vaccine the last time. So I'll put that up for you to see again. Let's see, I showed it a few months ago, but we'll do it once again as well, worth going through. You'll see a woman there, who one, one of the many who were paralyzed, she became quadriplegic after the shots and um, two years before she could even walk And even then, with the use of braces. And this will happen again, for those that uh, that take it. There's um, an article from Wise Up Journal in September, October issue, page 12. It's uh, about derivatives. It's a very well-written piece about derivatives. We've heard about the stock market and everything else, but uh, all of us down at the bottom here are kept in the dark about uh, what really goes on with all these hedge funds and derivatives and all the rest of it. So there's a a good article here about how this big bubble runs and what will happen if that goes down, because apparently it's a $531 trillion derivatives time bomb. $531 trillion. And there's only a handful of people actually control it have the controlling shares, a handful, literally about five people, for the whole planet. So I'll put that link up and you can look into that for yourselves. There's also another uh, Wise Up Journal article here Vaccines Far More Dangerous Than Swine Flu Itself. And this is from the second, the second us today, uh, by Christian Massey. So, with the media hype about the swine flu pandemic increasing and the vaccines near ready to ship across the world, I decided to take a closer look at the vaccines and, more importantly, the company behind them. After a few emails to the Department of Health and children with no response, I started phoning and eventually got through to, to Lorcan Donovan Public Health. To my relief, Lorcan was able to reassure me that the vaccine will currently not be mandatory in Ireland. However, he did confirm my worst fear. Baxter Laboratories is one of the companies supplying Ireland. Now, Baxter is a company, remember, that a few months ago sent out um, contaminated, that was a mixture of the, the, the usual, one of the usual common flus and the H1N1 uh, virus as well. And when one of the countries that sent it to, this is for inoculations, uh, when, the, when they sent it to, uh, tested it on uh, animals, the animals all died. This is Baxter. Baxter, too, remember, was part of the IG Farben group in World War II. All of these groups were involved in bacterial and viral warfare. Generally, it says, Baxter has recently been associated with two deadly scandals. The first event occurred in the 1980s with, when hemophiliac components were contaminated with the HIV virus and injected in tens of thousands of people including thousands of children. Baxter continued to release the HIV-contaminated vaccine even after the contamination was known. And that's that's a fact as well. The second event occurred even more recently when it was discovered in February this year that Baxter had released a seasonal flu vaccine containing the bird flu virus, which could have produced a real-world pandemic in 18 countries. Baxter flu vaccines contaminated with H5N1 otherwise known as the human form of avian flu, one of the most deadly biological weapons on Earth, supposedly, with a 60% kill rate, were received in 18 European countries, including the Czech Republic, Germany, and Slovenia. Fortunately, a student lab workers in the Czech Republic uh, discovered the deadly combination and blew the whistle before a worldwide disaster was unleashed. There goes on the implications of this mammoth Mistake cannot be stressed enough. Surely Baxter would not then be employed to supply a vaccine for a pandemic that was caused by the contaminated flu vaccine? question mark. <laughs> would you feel confident injecting their product into a family member? My guess is no. Yet the World Health Organization continues to contract Baxter to supply pandemic vaccines for Ireland and the world. Our government has ordered 7.2 million doses for a 4.1 million population and will have to pay somewhere in the region of a billion, to roll out the nationwide program. Uh, It's quite something, it's quite something, though, that this is going on. Now, as I say, when you see that 60 Minutes interview with the heads of the CDC and people who suffered from the effects of the last swine flu uh, fiasco, and it was just that, I mean, one soldier died, remember, Uh, He was taken out of his sickbed and put on a a forced march and then he he died. And it probably wasn't that they had at all that killed him. And uh, and, uh, even the four other people they tested, who were tested positive for this particular virus that they were on about at the time, uh, recovered quite, quite normally. They only had mild symptoms like a a cold. And uh, that was, but 40 million people got got these poisonous shots. Before it was all over, 40, before they, and the only reason they called the rest of it off was because people were coming down uh, with uh, sudden death, for instance, (laughs) sudden death, and uh, paraplegia, quadriplegia, and various other problems. And here they go again. Uh, This whole swine flu thing is an utter farce. It's it's, it's as much validity as as the Nile virus had, the West Nile virus got zilch validity this is an attempt to get the world stampeding to get shots because the world health organization's mandate is to get us all taking annual shots for everything they deem fit that we have that's what they said at their 2006 meeting that's what they were set up to do to, to be the world's leaders in all health matters and even when they were called the league of nations And they had the same department for the World Health Organization. Apart from depopulation, by the way, which is on the cards even then, they also wanted the right to mandatorily vaccinate everybody across the planet. In 2006, as I say, that that meeting when they said they would train the public through a big scare, in which there is on, on, now this whole thing is about a big scare, big fear tactic. Once you're into it, you get about 10 shots a year for the rest of your life that's what they're saying and booster shots from all the previous vaccinations you've had before every year that's what they want and you know the best way to stop things from happening well it's just that you stop it you don't go along with the first step of it that's how you stop it With Maurice Strong, for instance. Maurice Strong, a technocrat, a man with more power than prime ministers, a man with more power than dozens of prime ministers or presidents, as, Qu- as Quigley said, because they're the real parliaments run by foundations that order governments what to do. But Maurice Strong, he helped to set up the whole greening agenda. All the, all the groundwork was laid down by he and his cohorts. In fact, they call themselves the First Earth Army. Back in the 80s, it was basically formed when they set up all their propaganda institutions, and their NGOs, and trained them for what's happening now. But he also mentioned about power cuts, etc., to come down the roads in 10, 20 years' time. Here's an article here. It's from the Mail Online, September the 3rd, 2009. It says here, Power cut Britain to anyone who remembers it will seem utterly antediluvian. It predates home computers and mobile phones and color televisions were only then beginning to appear. Those who were young in the early 70s will remember poring over their homework by candlelight and there was a clear division between people who liked the smell of paraffin lamps and people who didn't. Then along with the three-day week and crippling industrial disputes, power cut Britain disappeared into the past, never to return, that is, until now. Once again we're being warned that within a few years the country could be facing its worst wave of power blackouts since those far-off days, more than three decades ago, and that even the government itself now admits these might be inevitable. Well, it's inevitable because of the agenda, you see. See, Morris Strong said in the 80s they would not be repairing... Or, or upkeeping, uh, say, nuclear facilities and so on, and they would be building no new ways to take over uh, from that. Plus, they'd be, they'd be eliminating coal plants as well. No idea is to reduce and reduce and reduce until we're living in a state of misery. See? This article goes on to say here, for seven years it's been clearly obvious to, the, to energy experts that Britain will soon be facing a colossal energy gap as the aging power stations which currently supply 40% of our electricity are forced to close down. Eight of our nine nuclear power plants are coming to the end of their life, and half of our coal and oil power stations are rapidly running out of the hours. They are allowed to keep running under the EU's Large Combustion Plants Directive, designed to stop the pollution blamed for acid rain. So you you can't even use the ones that work very often because of the EU's ruling uh, on pollution. By 2015, or even earlier, we shall thus begin to lose two-fifths of our present electricity supply, and the question energy experts are asking is, how do we propose to fill this yawning gap? Then he goes through all the, all the things that are talking about the windmill generators and so on, how fast they are. This is in, in reality, this is just make-believe. The 2,300 turbines so far built in Britain supply barely 1% of our power it costs a fortune, but it has supplied barely 1% of the power, less than a single medium-sized conventional power station combined. 2,300, them. The government talks about spending 100 billion pounds on building 10,000 more windmills to meet our EU target that within 10 years we must generate 32% of our electricity from. Renew- renewables. I don't know what that means first there is not the remotest chance that we could build three turbines a day between now and 2020 and second even if there were they would do virtually nothing to close our energy gap not least because we would need to build a dozen or more conventional power stations just to provide backup for when the wind is not blowing almost the only politician who realized this was john hutton the former energy minister, who last year reversed government policy by announcing that we needed at least a dozen new nuclear and coal-fired power stations to fill the gap. So guess what they did to this particular politician who advocated nuclear and coal-fired power stations? He was moved. As he started declared in the 2008 Labour Conference, no coal and no nuclear means no power and no future. Two weeks later, Hutton was removed to another department And Britain's energy policy was handed over to Ed Miliband, a green zealot in charge of a new ministry, ominously named the Department for Energy and Climate Change. So there you go. They've linked your Department of Energy now to, it's now called the Department of Energy and Climate Change. It's a, a political agenda, a control agenda. Mr. Miliband still makes noise about allowing the French and German companies, which now dominate our electricity supply, to build a new, generator of nuclear power plants, a new generation of nuclear power plants. But under EU rules, they cannot, unlike the wind industry, expect any subsidies, and the chances that any new nuclear plants could be built before 2020 are virtually non-existent. As for new coal-fired power stations, he has decreed that these cannot be built, Without so called carbon capture, piping off their CO2 to bury it in holes in the ground. Do you realize the world they're bringing in is going to be a very unpleasant world in which to live? It's going to be a very, very cold world for those who are on the bottom end, who can't afford whatever expensive fuel they come up with. Not because we're short of anything, it's because it's policy. It's policy by the big foundations to reduce all energy consumption, and reduce the population of the planet along with it. I hope people really realize what it's truly all about, and I wonder if they do. I wonder if they do. The, uh, The world we live in is a vastly different world than the one that's portrayed on television. The reasons for things are, are completely different from what's mentioned on television. Now, there's a caller. It's Deborah from Maryland. Oh, I'll take her. Is Deborah there?
0: I am. How yes. are you doing today, Alan? I'm,
1: I'm hanging in here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just had, uh, when you when you were talking about the flu shot and all that um, nonsense... Um the the governor of Maryland, O'Malley, has said um today that taking the flu shot was patriotic.
1: Well patriotic?
0: Oh yeah Maybe the
1: serum comes from American chickens. Hold on and I'll be back after this break. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the Matrix, talking to Deborah from Maryland there about how patriotic it's going to be to take their shot, apparently. And until I remembered there, that it's actually been made from green monkeys and human tissue, apparently. So they haven't specified if if that's going to be patriotic or not, if it's from from Africa, I sorry global society, I guess. Maybe that's what it means. You still there, Deborah?
0: Yeah, I'm still here. That's yeah. correct. It, it does have um, tissue of green monkey in it. Yeah. And what's interesting also to note is that the Swine Flu Summit was held in July at the National Institutes of Health here.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. I noticed that and found an article on that. Uh, but what's amazing, too, is that it's kind of leaking out from the CDC but they had this planned back in 2007 before the swine flu outbreak was even heard of, or swine flu itself.
0: Correct. Um, the drug company, and I want to say GlaxoSmithKline, it might have been another uh, involved, had um, applied for the patent yes. back in 2007, mm-hmm. which is interesting. To note that, you know, how are you going to apply for a patent for a flu that doesn't exist at that pre- at that present time? It takes exactly, exist.
1: exactly.
0: So, um, which leads uh, it leads me to believe that Wayne Madsen had a little bit more credibility in my mind when he said, you know, on Russia Today television, you know, this was man-made. This was done in a in a closed setting, taking the um, 1918 um, flu mm-hmm. and crossbreeding, if, if that's the correct term, mm-hmm. um, it with other strains of flu.
1: Yeah, I read the article, in fact, from the, 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 the guy who did it for the CDC, as mm. uh, a Japanese name, and uh, he said he took three uh, genes, added them to, or from the, the Spanish flu, added it to a common flu, and, and it, it created a killer. And then he said at the end of it, I hope this uh, swine flu doesn't mutate along this path. So here they've created it, and they just hope that nature doesn't uh, follow suit and create the same thing themselves.
0: Well, what's curious to me, you know, and I think a lot of people that are kind of, you know, maybe questioning this, is that as far as I know, it takes at least two years Mm -hmm. to develop a so-called flu vaccine against one particular strain of flu. Yeah, Right. Isn't it interesting that they had this two years before this so-called avian mm-hmm. pig's fly flu was introduced to the public? And, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody that's been affected
1: by it. No, I haven't either. And I, I talk to people from all over the world, lots of people in Britain, and they don't know anybody either that, that's had it.
0: Yeah, no, so, so I don't even know that it
1: exists. Exactly, it's like every. A, 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 I think it's exactly what they said they do. Present scary scenarios to the public to make them obey. I think this is exactly what they're doing. And, 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 and they've already said, as I said, that the, the World Health Organization. They said in 2006 that if they can just bring in a mandatory inoculation, they'll get the public trained. To go in every year to get mandatory shots, not just for flu but for boosters and other inoculations. What better way to
0: poison? What better way to poison the whole public then?
1: Well, that's that's the intention. That that mm-hmm. is the intention. We've we've had all this stuff to do with the cancer uh, viruses they put in the polio and so on. That's all uh, acknowledged facts now. And these guys have the, are the same eugenics plants as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Oh, uh, love
0: you, Alan. People buy his books, please. Yep.
1: Yeah thanks for calling yes it's eugenics folks and uh, your life is in your own hands in your own hands no one else is and you must keep it in your own hands from hamish myself from interior canada it's good night and may your god or your gods go with you